do that if you're going to bring something. That is on December 8th, right after service. We're going to end here. I'll pray, play the, I'll pray the blessing over you. You can just go and eat, and uh, it will just be just a great time to connect. Um, and I do just also want to make note, uh, their Advent starts next week. Uh, and every year we do an Advent devotional for our adults and for our kids. Uh, this year they look like this. Uh, our kids devotional. Uh, the theme this year for Advent is called Born the King. Uh, our kids devotional looks like this. Uh, you could, if you have young kids at home, take one for your family. Uh, this is something just to read and go through every night with your kids. Uh, it'll just kind of tell a story throughout the season of Advent, all leading up to, uh, all leading up to Christmas. There'll be some kind of, uh, kind of discussion starters, kind of thought-provoking things for you to talk with your kids about, uh, about the meaning of Advent, and the story is a cute little story in here. Uh, we also have an adult book here. Uh, it's called, so called Born the King, oddly enough, right? Uh, this is the uh, Advent devotional for adults, though. Uh, this is up to you. If you want to share as a family, you're more than welcome to. Uh, you can take one per person if you want as well. We have plenty of them out there in the foyer. Um, it's just going to be a good Good time to just, uh, just focus in during the season of Advent and make sure uh, that the reason that we celebrate Christmas is not lost in all of the hustle and bustle of the season. And so this is a very intentional way for you to grow deeper, uh, to go deeper into your relationship with Christ uh, and really just focus in on the season. So I encourage you to pick one up. Uh, if you can, uh, if you just maybe drop $5 in the connection box back there to help us kind of cover the cost. Uh, but... No pressure on that. Uh, I, I'd rather you just take a book uh, and, and get, it all, get it all in this Christmas season. So I think that's it. There's some more stuff in your bulletin, uh, but uh, I want to get going in the series. So let me, let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for just who you are and all the things that you are doing in the life of this church. God, it was so cool yesterday to see uh, people here just connecting and uh, just getting to know each other a little more, and it was just such a, such a great event yesterday. We're so thankful for that. We're thankful for other ways in which you're moving in our church. We're thankful for the ways in which you've moved during this series, God. And so I pray once again this morning that you would speak through me this morning, that the words that come out of my mouth would be your words for your people on your day and not just my words that... That I think sound good, God. Would they just be divine words today? Would people leave here? Would even I leave here knowing that we have met with you, knowing we have heard from you in a real tangible way? God, we love you. We give you praise. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are uh, finishing out this morning, uh, before we jump into Advent next week, we are finishing out our series in the book of Ruth. Uh, this Book of Ruth, man, it's such a good story. This book of Ruth is such an amazing story. I've really enjoyed uh, just kind of taking it slowly, going through these verse three chapters so far of the book of Ruth. Uh, the book of Ruth is really meant to be uh, read in one sitting, so there's been some kind of tension that we're sitting with uh, week to week as we've kind of gone through. And, and so if you're just joining us, if, you're, if, if you have never read the book of Ruth, I'll give you a little recap for us this morning uh, because... This, this, the end of this story is such a beautiful, beautiful thing, but we need to kind of keep in mind everything else that has happened because, like I said, it's been meant to read in one sitting. And so, just a little recap here. What's going on in the book of Ruth? Well, in Ruth chapter 1, 
We're introduced to this woman named Naomi and her husband Elimelech. Uh, they live in Bethlehem, which Bethlehem means the house of bread. And so, but unfortunately, there's a famine in Bethlehem. There is no bread in the house of bread. And so Elimelech leaves Bethlehem, takes his family to a land named Moab. Moab is, is outside of the promised land where Bethlehem is in. He literally takes his people out of the promised land, out of the place uh, that is literally the place where God provides into a place called Moab, and Moab is a place where uh, God is not worshipped. There is a lot of gods that are worshipped. There is a lot of uh, sexual sin that is going on here. There's a lot of uh, kind of cultish worship stuff going on in this area. This is not the area for the people of God to, to move to from the promised land. But they do anyways because there's food. This man Elimelech is trying to provide for his family. So they leave, they go to Moab where there is food. Now, just in the first five verses of Ruth, we see uh, that Elimelech and his two sons, Naomi's two sons, all die within a 10-year span. And so we have Naomi, and we have Ruth, her daughter-in-law, and we have Orpah, her other daughter-in-law, at the end of verse 5, who are just there together in the land of Moab. And so... Naomi hears that God has provided, imagine that, in the promised land, and says, you know what, we need to go back. But he looks, she looks at her daughter-in-laws and says, you guys need to just go back home. I can't provide for you anymore. I'm too old. I'm not going to have a son. Even if I had a son, would you wait for him to grow up to provide for you? Like, there's just no point in sticking with me. I cannot provide for you, right? So we have Orpah, one of the daughters-in-law who takes her up on the offer and goes home. But Ruth who the book is named after, right? Ruth has this speech that is uh, kind of the famous speech now in the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter one, where you go, I will go, where you stay, I will stay, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. Basically, Ruth says to Naomi, Naomi, I am, I'm with you. I'm going to be with you. And really, at, the, at Ruth chapter one, what we're seeing is Ruth is essentially committing her life to be a childless widow, and this is the life she's committing to. This is not a life that you want to commit to in this time, the time of the judges. This is not, not a very highly esteemed life to be a childless widow. But she follows Ruth, and they go back to Bethlehem. And at the end of chapter 1, what we have is people looking at Naomi and saying, Hey, look, this is Naomi. And Naomi looks at these people, and she says, Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. This gives you a little insight into the mindset of Naomi at this time. She is a very bitter person. Just think about what she's been through in the last 10 years. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. There's no heir coming up to provide for her. She is alone. And so we have kind of this odd couple at the end of chapter 1. We have Ruth, who is kind of a foreigner, the Moabite, and Naomi. They are in need of food. They are in need of family. Those are the two big needs that we see over this book. In chapter 2, the need for food is met. Now Ruth wakes up one morning, goes out to glean in the fields, and she ends up in a field of, by the, of a man by the name of Boaz. And Boaz is actually a family member. He's, he's more than just a family member. We read later on the significance of Boaz. Boaz is what is called a, uh, a kinsman redeemer. In the NIV, it says guardian redeemer. The language is more kinsman redeemer. It's a relative. Uh, and so we have this Boaz, who is a close relative. And the, this kinsman redeemer, this guardian redeemer, has the right 
to basically purchase everything that was Naomi's and to kind of begin to provide for them. They have the right to, to take over, provide for them, to kind of be the, uh, for lack of a better phrase, kind of the man of the family. Uh, that's, that was a big deal back then to be that. And so uh, that was what Boaz was. So, at, but in this chapter, he, she begins to glean in the fields of Boaz. Boaz takes notice of Ruth, likes what he sees, invites her to dinner, and sends her home that night with leftovers from dinner and about a month's worth of barley to go home to her mother-in-law, Naomi. God has provided food for Ruth and Naomi at the end of chapter 2. Now, at the end of chapter 2, we have this need for food that is met, but we still don't have the need for family that is met. There's still this kind of overarching need in the book of Ruth that is kind of this need for family. And so Naomi, the mother-in-law, kind of comes up with this plan, if you will, uh, to have Ruth and Boaz be together. So she looks at Ruth and she says, you know what, Ruth, Boaz is going to be on the threshing floor tonight, which is basically the place where uh, they separate the, the good pieces of the barley from kind of the, the, the chaff, the, the, the useless pieces, right? So this is where they are. This is what they're doing. They're on the side of a hill in a secluded place, and Naomi basically just says to Ruth, you need to go and you need to just watch him and wait. When he's done on the threshing floor, when he's done with his dinner, and he goes to sleep, <clears throat> you need to go and just lay at his feet. And her words are, he will tell you what to do. So this, this picture in, the chap- in chapter 3 that we were talking about last week of this, this Moabite woman laying at the feet of Boaz, this wealthy kinsman redeemer uh, is kind of this this picture that is it's it's kind of an awkward picture right in fact that's that's kind of just putting it lightly it's an it's an awkward picture because there's just a lot more underlying there that we don't get when we talk about lying at someone's feet uh, you can read a lot into that that's what the original hearers would have done and so we see this kind of she's basically coming on to Boaz But what we have in this chapter 3 is that Boaz wakes up and sees Ruth laying at his feet, and instead of taking advantage of her, instead of doing anything like that, he he literally prays a blessing over her. And they have this conversation at the end of Ruth chapter 3. What we have is Boaz kind of promising that the need for family would be met. He says, look, there's a, there's a relative to you that is closer than me. It's his right to redeem you. But if he won't do it, then I will. And so we have this kind of tension at the end of chapter 3. What is going to happen? How is this all going to work out? Who is going to redeem Ruth and Naomi? Is it going to be this no-name guy that we don't know who he is yet? Or is it going to be Boaz? And from this point, all of us, hopefully you kind of stuck with it and didn't read ahead, all of us are kind of thinking, it's got to be Boaz, right? This is kind of the hope of, of kind of, as you're reading this story, in the end of the movie, there's the, the end of the movie should be that Boaz and Ruth get together, right? This is what the end of the, the Hallmark movie of the book of Ruth should be. We'll see if we get there. Let's go together. Uh, let's go to chapter 4. Uh, if you are uh, in one of our pew Bibles, uh, chapter 4 is on page 227 if you want to join me there. Today is kind of the day where everything will come to light. Everything comes to light, uh, and we see God answered the need for food. How will he answer the need <clears throat> for family? Ruth 
chapter 4. And again, we're just going to take this nice and slow, like my barbecue, like I like my barbecue, low and slow, right? We're going to take this nice and slow. Verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Now, I just want to just, again, this, this word guardian redeemer is here. Once again, if you don't have it circled or underlined, just take notice of this word. NIV says guardian redeemer. Probably the, the better language here is kinsman redeemer because it has to be a family member. Some, some other versions will say kinsman redeemer. That's probably more accurate here. It's two word, one word in, in Hebrew, two words in English. But here's basically what it means. To, to be a kinsman redeemer, first of all, you have to be a kinsman, which means the closest adult male relative. <clears throat> and then the redeemer part is that that person, well, and actually in this case, the, the kinsman would have to be the dead husband's closest relative. Not Naomi's, not Ruth's. It would have to be Elimelech's closest relative adult male. So then that person, that kinsman, would have the right, uh, would be able to purchase the land uh, that, that, the, that Elimelech owned, and with that, he would receive the family, and he would have the right to provide, the, not just the right, but the, uh, the obligation to provide for that family uh, and take care of them. So this is, this is who this is. And actually, this is a concept that is not new. It's a concept that is brought up in the book of Leviticus, uh, Leviticus chapter 25. You don't have to go there with me, uh, but I'll just... I'll just tell you what it says in Leviticus chapter 25. Uh, it starts, this whole concept of a kinsman redeemer, this guardian redeemer, starts in the book of Leviticus 25, uh, and it starts really in regards to just land, making sure the land stays in the family. In fact, here's what it says in verse, uh, chapter 25, verse 24. Throughout the land that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. If one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. If, however, there is no one to redeem it for them, but later on they prosper and acquire sufficient means to redeem it themselves, they are to determine the value for the years since they sold it and refund the balance to the one to whom they sold it, then they can go back to their own property. You see God kind of providing a measure here uh, to say the land should stay within the family. Okay, this is kind of what God is talking about here in Leviticus chapter 25. Like I said, it's just basically about the land. But what does God think about the marriage that's involved here? Well, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 25. And here's, here's basically what uh, this is. You can kind of see the heart of what's happening here uh, in chapter 25, verse 5. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. And you see God providing this way for the family name to move on, even if all of the men, all of the people who can carry on that name are gone. And this is a very serious thing. You keep reading here in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 7. However, <clears throat> if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife... She shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, My husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. 
Then the elders of his town shall summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. That man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. You can see there's, there is some shame here that goes along with not wanting to provide, not wanting to be the redeemer of your family. There is, there is honor here in being that person who wants to take up the family name, who wants to say, I will redeem this family. I will redeem the land. I will redeem the family. I will do, I will do what it takes to be this guardian redeemer. And so in Ruth chapter 3, we hear Boaz say, there's another one that is closer to you. There's another guardian redeemer. There's another kinsman redeemer. I'm not the closest relative to you. There's another one. But if he doesn't, I will. Now this, if he doesn't, is kind of like a, he should. (laughs) He really should, because this is going to bring shame on him if he doesn't. But if he doesn't, I'll make sure it gets done. So this is, this is what's happening here in, <clears throat> in the uh, beginning parts of chapter 4. Boaz goes to the city gates, he goes to the outside, and he, and he sees this relative of his who he knows his name, he knows who he is, but in the author here uh, just basically uses this phrase, says, come over here, my friend. Now, this, my friend, is, uh, is a Hebrew idiom. It's kind of the, the thing that we would say, uh, like, Mr. So-and-so. Come over here, Mr. So-and-so. Like, the author here is not trying, he's, she's, he or she, whoever wrote it, is, is basically trying to intentionally get us to look at this person, this man, in kind of a negative light, in an insignificant light. Trying to say, this guy really doesn't, mean a thing. It'd be like if you, this, this phrase is basically the same phrase as like, has anybody ever walked up to you and you just can't remember their name? And so you just, hey, friend. <laughs> hey, pal. Hey, you know, in church, we go, hey, brother. <laughs> you know, like this is, this is kind of what's going on here. Hey, hey, uh, hey, friend, would you come over here and sit with me? So he does, he comes over and he sits with him. And then we get back to, to chapter four, verse two. So he, so he went over and he sat down. Boaz took ten elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Why are the elders there? The elders are basically there just to be witnesses to what is about to happen. Okay. Verse 3, then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. Basically, this is kind of an offer that this person can't refuse. Notice who he doesn't bring up here is Ruth. He's talking about Naomi. Hey, remember our, our relative, Elimelech, his, his wife, who is well beyond childbearing age. She's selling the land uh, the, of her husband. Basically, here's what this guy hears. I can go buy this land. She's not going to have another son. So there's not an heir that is going to be coming up. So when I buy this land... 
and Naomi eventually dies, this land can go to my sons. This is an offer that this guy can't refuse. And so we hear in the next verse, I'll do it. Uh, I guess it's still that same verse, verse 4. I will redeem it, he said. At this point, at this point in the movie, like, just think about this, like, on the big screen here. This is not what we want to see. Right? At this point, everybody in the whole theater is thinking, Boaz, what are you thinking? Like, you, why, did, why would you make that so easy for him? Why would you, like, you're supposed to end up with her. Like, how is this happening right now? What, what is going on? You just made this so easy for this guy to just say, yeah, I'll go ahead and redeem it. Yeah, I'll go ahead and do this. When in reality, if we read on, Boaz knows exactly what he's doing. Because here's, here's what happens after this. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you will also require Ruth the Moabite. The, the foreigner, this foreign woman who is with her, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. As if Boaz was like, oh, by the way, when you do this, you also get Ruth. Ruth is definitely of childbearing age, and it would be your responsibility to give her a child and to produce an heir. So this land that you are buying would not be yours it would not be your sons. It would continue in the family line. Not only would it continue in the family line, remember who Ruth is at this point. Ruth is a foreigner. Ruth is a Moabite. Ruth isn't part of the Israelite community. Ruth isn't a part of this. She hasn't been kind of grafted into this Israelite community yet. So this, this close relative at this, verse 6, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem <laughs> it be, I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I can't do it. So this is like the part of the movie where the orchestra starts to play. You know, like we see like the, you hear the music in the background starts to like turn up a little bit because this is exactly what we've been looking for, right? This is what we've been hoping the end game would be the whole time, that Ruth and Boaz would be together. So Boaz... Uh, well, verse 7, now in earlier times, this is kind of like the narrator here, now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Now there's no spitting in this context like there was in Deuteronomy because someone is going to redeem it. But you can see this whole sandal thing is basically to say, I give up my right to redeem this, and I give it to you. I give up my right, and I give it to you. Verse 9, then Boaz kind of has this speech. Then Boaz announced to the elders and to all, to all the people. At this point, there are people crowded around, apparently, to see what is going on. Today, you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malan. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malan's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. Just, just hear what he is saying here. This is kind of like the, the climax of this film. This is... This is Boaz standing in the middle of the crowd of people saying, look, today you are witnesses to this. I'm taking, I'm taking Ruth. I'm taking the property. I'm taking everything. 
I'm going to redeem her. I'm going to redeem this family. Today, you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. And then just, just hear the blessing that they are praying over Boaz and now Ruth, this newlywed couple here. Just think, think about the blessing here that is happening. We are witnesses. May the Lord make the, whim, make the woman who is coming into your home, this is Ruth, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. Now, just, just throwing this out there, Rachel and Leah had 12 kids. Those 12 kids became the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. This, these people are praying a prayer over this Moabite woman who is now being grafted into the Israelite community. May you be fertile like Rachel and Leah. May you have the kind of, of kids, the kind of sons, the kind of heirs that Rachel and Leah produce. This is like the, the, the blessing of all blessings that you could pray over a woman who is trying to get an heir. May you be like Rachel and Leah. They keep going. <clears throat> May you have standing in Ephrathath and be famous in Bethlehem. Throughout the offspring, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now we won't go into any more Old Testament stories because we've done that a lot. Just know this is a huge blessing that the people are praying over Ruth and over Boaz. This is this is the kind of blessing that, that anyone would love to receive at a wedding. May you be fertile. May you be, just, may you be blessed. May your family be blessed. May you be well known. May you be successful. May everything go well for you. They're praying this over Boaz and Ruth the Moabite. But I want you to hear this because Ruth in this story is no longer Ruth the Moabite. Because Boaz kind of changes that picture. Because even in this speech that he gives, I've also required Ruth acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife. No longer is she Ruth the Moabite. She is Ruth the Israelite. She is Ruth part of the family of God because she was grafted in through Boaz. You don't hear any more talk about Ruth the Moabite, the rest of this thing. In fact, you don't actually hear a lot about Ruth in general, the rest of this thing. Let's, let's keep going here. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. This is, this, what this end of the chapter reminds me of is kind of like, you know, the end of movies, like that end and then you have like these pictures with like what happened in the future. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like this person grew up to be this and this and this and lived here. Like this is at the end of some of these movies. This is kind of what this reminds me of at the end of this. Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife when he made love to her. The Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. There's an heir now. God has provided an heir. Just think how far we have come. Because at the beginning of Ruth, we kind of have this hopeless despair of there are these three women with no heirs and no one to come up. In fact, Naomi, at the beginning of this story, was like, you guys need to just go because I can't provide an heir for you. And now at the end of the book, we have Naomi having a son, having an heir. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Now, this phrase here is not talking about Boaz. 
This phrase here is talking about the son that she has just had. This, that, now, think about that. They are calling this child, this son, the guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For you and your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, just think about just the end scene in this story. You have Naomi, who has just run the gamut in all of these places. She started this place just in a terrible spot. At the end of the movie, you can just kind of see her just on the porch in a wooden rocking chair, just holding the baby. And just see the blessing that has happened in this story. There's, there's, there's so much stuff going on in this story. And in verse 17, we, we just, we keep reading. Oh, sorry, that was the, the woman living there. said, Naomi, I have a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And at this point, we begin to realize that this story is so much deeper than just the redemption of Naomi and Ruth. Because in one of the darkest times in the Israelite history, the times of the judges, we have in this story of Ruth, the, the beginnings to the greatest king in Israel's history, David. There is a look forward at the end of Ruth to say, this is where we're going. God has provided in huge ways. God has redeemed this family, and in a way, he has redeemed Israel once again. And there, this is a huge story of redemption. This is a, there's kind of like a, just a, if you were just going to tell a story of just redemption, this would be one of the first stories that I tell because this is a story of how God is redeeming not only just this family, but it's a story of a bigger redemption that God is a part of. I want to just talk about redemption this morning and just look at it through, we're going to look at it through Boaz's eyes. What does it take to be a redeemer? We'll look at it through Obed's eyes because Obed was named a kinsman redeemer. And then we'll kind of move forward from there and talk about redemption. So here's, here's what we know about redemption from Boaz, right? There are kind of three requirements from, of redemption that we hear from Boaz. The first requirement is that you have to have the right to redeem. You have to be the person who is in close relationship. You have to be that person. Only that one person can have the right to redeem. Not only do you have the right to redeem, you have to have the resources to redeem. You have to be well off enough to be able to purchase this land, to be able to provide for the new people that you are taking under your wings. You have to have the resources for that, and you also have to have the resolve to do that. See, this other guy, Mr. So-and-so in the book, he didn't have the resolve to do this. He heard that there was a Moabite woman that he would begin to have to take care of, and he was like, I'm out of this game. They're like, no, I can't do it. it would en- he literally says, it would endanger uh, my estate to bring her on. Boaz, however, has the resolve to do this. I'm going to do this. This is the right thing to do. I'm going to bring her in. I'm going to marry her. I'm going to provide a son for her. I'm going to provide an heir for her. So we, we learn just in this story of what it takes to be a redeemer from Boaz. You have to have the right. You have to have the resources. You have to have the resolve. What do we learn about redemption from Obed, this son that we really don't know anything about other than that he is the father of uh, <coughs> Jesse, the father of David? 
What do we know about redemption through this, through this baby of Obed? I mean, just the end of this chapter, we have you know, this picture of baby Obed in Naomi's arms. You can just imagine just the look on Naomi's face. Naomi is no longer bitter at this time because you can't look into a baby's face and be bitter. It's just not possible, right? Naomi is, is looking into this face and just think about all the ways that redemption has happened just through this child. All the ways that God has moved in redemptive ways even just to get to this point where there is a child in Naomi's lap. See, God, in God's redemptive story, he moves things from death to life. Think about this. At the beginning of the book, we started with three funerals. And at the end, we end with a wedding and a baby. God moves things from death to life. God moves things from curses to blessings. At the beginning of this book, we have kind of the curse of all curses on Naomi, that her family line is just done. And at the end of this book, we have not only the blessings from from the elders and the people at the city gate, but we have this, this blessing of this baby who is now the kinsman redeemer who will be the one to take care of her, take care of the family, to live on, to, to, to pass the family name on. We have gone from curses to blessings. We've gone from bitter to ecstatic. In chapter one, we have Naomi saying, call me Mara, call me bitter. At the end of chapter one, at the end of chapter four, we have the women who all talk to Naomi and say, Naomi has a son. Like they're just like so excited. Naomi has a son. Naomi has a son. They say it twice in the end of the book. Naomi has a son. We see just the, the happiness, the, the, just she's ecstatic. We move in chapter one from empty. At, at, beginning, at the end of chapter one, what does Naomi say? The Lord sent me away at full and I've come back empty. What do we have at the end of chapter four? We have moved from emptiness to once again being full. This is the ways in which God moves in redemptive ways. We've gone from despair to hope. And just the beginning of chapter one, at the end of chapter one, we have this kind of despair. There's I just, you, uh, chapter one, that was a heavy week, week one, because it was hard to walk away, not just feeling like, man, this is a really sad story. There's despair in chapter one. There is people in need of food and a family. There's people in need of all kinds of stuff. And, and yet we move to, to hope. And the end of the book just speaks to the hope that is found here. Because we're, we're not just talking about Ruth and her son, Obed. We're making our way all the way to David. Amen. This is the redemptive peace in, in the Israelite history that is King David. Now, fast forward with me to Matthew chapter 1, because the, the line doesn't end there, Right? In Matthew chapter 1, or sorry, in Ruth chapter 4, we have kind of this lineage, and they just go three generations to, to David, right? But then you get to, to Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, and the lineage keeps going here, right? You have kind of the, the same lineage in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, Sam and the father of Boaz, who was, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, 
Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. We have that in the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew keeps going, and he keeps tracing this lineage. And at the end of this lineage, you get to kind of chapter, uh, verse 16. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Do you see what's happening in this story here? Do you see the hope? Do you see just this, everything that happens from this little story, this little four-chapter, two-page story in the middle of the Old Testament called Ruth? We have, even in this book in the Old Testament, we have the future lineage of Jesus the Messiah. I mean, this is, this is amazing. Amen. This, is, this is how God works. And Jesus, what does Jesus come to do? Jesus comes to be our Redeemer. Jesus comes to be our Redeemer. Well, what do we know about Redeemers? Redeemers have to have the right to redeem. Does Jesus have the right to redeem? Well, Jesus came down to earth as what? As a man, like us. He had to be one of us to redeem us. And what does he do? He is one of us. Jesus absolutely has the right to redeem. To redeem us. Does he have the resources? Does he have the resources? I mean, come on. Does God have the resources to redeem us? Absolutely. He has the right and the resources to redeem us. Does he have the resolve? I mean, what do you think? When he's carrying his cross and he takes it up to the hill and he gets on there for you and for me, does he have the resolve to redeem us? Absolutely. Jesus is our Redeemer. This whole story of Ruth going all the way through the Old Testament into the New is a story of redemption. Here's the cool thing. God wants us to continue on this story of redemption. He has given us the right. He has given us the resources The question is, do you have the resolve? Do you have the resolve to live out this life and be a redeemer? See, this this gospel, this good news, that can't stop here in this room. We've got to go out. There's a world that needs redeeming. Do we have the resolve? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this story of Ruth, this story of redemption that, man, it's such a special story. God, I pray that as we just continue to process this story of Ruth, this story of redemption, that we would take notice of the ways in which you have redeemed us in our own lives, and would we have the resolve to go out and to be your agents of redemption in the world. God, we just, we give you glory this morning. We pray that you would go ahead of us this week. Would you be in our homes, in our workplaces? Would you be around our family tables as we celebrate Thanksgiving this week? God, would you just be in all of that? Would our conversations lead to you? Would we be thankful for all the ways in which you have blessed us and the way in which you redeemed us? Would we be bold this week for you?
We love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? If you're new or haven't been in a while, we, we end every service the same way. We, I just ask that you would just hold out your hands and just palms up and just receive a blessing from God as we leave this morning. Let me say a word of just blessing. May our God, the God of love and redemption, remind you this week that you are redeemed. And may that knowledge, may that just fact just sit in your heart and in your mind. And may you go out and be agents of redemption in the world this week. May you make a difference for him wherever you may find yourself. Go in the grace and love and peace of our Redeemer God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning.